Let's pray. Jesus, we come this morning to hear your voice. So Lord, if I get in the way, please get me out of the way. But Lord, let us hear what you want to share this morning. God, let us hear your voice. Let us be challenged into you. Let us be grown into you, Lord. May we see you deeper this morning. May we understand your cross better this morning, Lord. We love you, we honor you, and in your name we pray. Amen. If you haven't noticed, there's already been a theme which is incredible that Chan and Coco prepare worship separately to myself preparing and just asking the Holy Spirit to reveal. And that's the incredible thing about the Holy Spirit. When we meet on Thursday mornings, I meet with some guys to do some, some discipleship. And almost every Thursday, Marcus will uh, agree to this. Almost every Thursday, we stand around the coffee machine and we just talk. As I'm making a coffee, the conversation just, just gets stirred and we start talking about the kingdom. Pretty much every Sunday, uh, every Thursday, we'll walk upstairs, we'll sit down and we're going through a discipleship booklet. We'll open the page and without a doubt, the topic we've just been discussing downstairs is the topic that we're up to. And a few times they've said, you prepare for these, don't you? And I laughed and said, I wish I did, but I don't. I get in here and I open the page. But that's because the Holy Spirit is stirring inside of us. He's preparing our hearts. And I want to ask you this morning, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, preach, teach. I'm not really sure what it's going to be until it comes out. But what, what I've got this morning is very challenging. And I want to ask you to please, before you do two things, either get upset with me or dismiss it and go, it was a good sermon, but I don't know what to do with it. I want you to take it to God. I have been asking the Lord, why, why am I having to challenge all the time? And if you ask Dave, it's because I'm a, what number? An eight. I'm an eight on some gram. I'm an Enneagram eight. But as I, read through, as I read through again and again and again, I went back through Paul's teachings. I thought, wow, Paul must have been an eight as well. He must have been a challenger. No. No. No, I'm not calling myself Paul at all. I'm just reading what he wrote down. And the challenging thing for us is I, more than anything, am desperate for the church to be ready, for the bride of Christ to be ready. You know, that verse in, um, in, in uh, Genesis where God calls Aaron, I think it's in Genesis, it might be Exodus, but he calls Aaron. He says, bring him to minister to me. And I've been thinking about, wow, how do we come and minister to the Lord? How do we learn as a people to minister to God? And then we go to Revelation, which is the verse I spoke about last uh, the week before last that we all know so well, be kings and priests. And I thought, Lord, we can't even clean our own bedrooms. How are we supposed to be kings and priests, rulers of you, to carry your kingdom? We can't get ourselves organized. How are we supposed to operate for you? And then you go back through Paul's teachings and you realize everything he was doing was pointing the people to the kingdom and saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. I believe with all that I am that there is a great harvest coming. I believe with all that I am that God is going to move in this city. That churches are going to be caught on fire. But what he needs is his bride to be ready. What he needs is our clothing to be cleaned. 
And I'm going to explain that in a minute, but we got to keep pushing. Sean spoke last week phenomenally at camp. I even brought the word phenomenal back to explain how awesome he preached. He spoke so well, explaining the covenant, explaining what the Ark of the Covenant was then and what it is now. And he, he encapsulated Jesus in such a beautiful way, but he challenged us as a people to know the Holy Spirit, to know the Holy Spirit. So I turned to Ephesians 5, which is where we're supposed to be asking God, how do I come out of the powerful time that was Easter, the cross? And this is how Paul starts Ephesians 5. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The timing of these sermons have been amazing. I'm asking God, how do I, how do I carry on from, from the picture that's been drawn over Easter? And in this verse, Paul is saying, remember what happened on the cross, the beautiful fragrance that was shared. And he says, now that you've got that, now that you've come through the cross, do you know what you're supposed to do? Be imitators of God. See, a lot of the, the Western Christianity, a lot of the, the culture is, well, it's all about the death of Christ. Right? It's all about the death of Christ. But that's not true. Because there was a lot of people who died in the times. So then you go, oh, okay, well, it's all about the resurrection of Christ. And that's not true either. Lazarus died and he rose again. But he wasn't the Christ. He wasn't the Messiah. When you're looking at the cross, you have to take all three elements of the cross, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension, because it's the ascension that brings the power for him to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father. So when we look at the cross, we say, Lord, what were you actually doing? I was dying to redeem you and to bring you back into me. I was dying for you to fulfill the original promise I gave to you in Genesis. There's a thing, a fancy word that scholars will use it's called the meta narrative right and it means the big story the 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 overarching story of the bible the bible starts in genesis and it ends in revelation for a lot of us we see the bible starting in the gospels but that's why the gospel of john is my favorite because he starts the gospel how does he start the gospel in the beginning in the beginning he takes the gospel and he takes it all the way back to the garden. So if you've got a Bible with you, well done, Mr. John Chef. Ten points. That's a little Thursday night inside joke. You've got to come along to get those inside jokes. Go to Genesis 1, chapter 3 for me. Genesis 1, chapter 3, God said, God said, let there be light. Let there be light. So there's a, it, it says in a, a little bit before Genesis 1, 3, I think Genesis 1, 2, it says there was a dark void and over the void there was nothing and that the Spirit of God uh, uh, went over the ark of nothing, right? There was nothing there, a void. And then God steps forward and he says, let there be light. And for the longest time, I always thought that, wow, that's when God stepped down and he created the light of the world, the sun, 
moon, the stars. Right? He comes out and he says, let there be light. For so long, I've thought that that's what it was. But then if you keep reading through Genesis, if you keep reading, you get, that's the first day. If you keep reading, you get through to the fourth day, which is Genesis 1 verse 14. And God says, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So he's making lights inside the heavens and the earth. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and it was evening and there was nothing on the fourth day. So it's not until day four that God creates the physical light in the earth. So what happened back on day one? Day one was God himself using the words in his mouth to say, let me reside in this place. Let the light that I am be in this place. Then he goes on to create the physical lights, right? The lights that we see, the lights that we turn on, the sun, the moon. But before that, he said, let me reside in this place that I've created. Let me be the light that pushes back the darkness. He's talking about a spiritual force himself that stands in way of the darkness to say, I am everything. That's why when he says to Moses, I am that I am. I am all there is everything why because in the very beginning i said with the words of my mouth let me be in this place the incredible thing about that is scientists now believe that every form of matter is made up from reverberation it's made up from a, a noise wave right that we can actually change and it's quite interesting if we get go very deeply into it, but we can actually change the frequency by which we we are there's a very interesting book that I can't remember the name of the author, so it helps you zero. But he writes about the fact that frankincense actually changes our frequency. So a lot of guys who minister, like I know Adam does it and Paul and a few other guys that I know that minister, before they go into minister and most mornings before they go and pray, they'll put frankincense on themselves because there's an understanding that, a, that frankincense, the oil, actually changes our frequency. So everything that we do in this world, it carries a frequency. Why? Because in the very beginning, God said in creation, everything that is will come from my frequency. He created all that there was in the beauty and the glory of His light. You know, you know the most incredible thing about that? That He creates so much other stuff, yet He leaves the most important thing till last. What was the last thing He created? Mankind. Mankind. He creates everything. In his holy light, he creates everything in the light that he is. And then he says, right, now I need imitators to hold the light that I am in this place. So he says, let me create man. But listen to how he says it in Genesis 1, 26. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens, over the livestock and over all the things, the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him, male and female. Why in the world does it say it so many times? 
In my image, in my image, in my image, in my image, I created you. Because God realized that I've made this place and I've put my light in it, but darkness is going to continue to try and take over the light that I've given. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put myself, my light that I am, into my people and they will be the lights in this place. He put the light of himself in his creation so that we would stand in a place of darkness and continue to be the difference between the void that was light and dark. It's you and I. That was what he did in the very beginning. The mandate of Adam and Eve is the same mandate we carry today to be what? Image bearers of him. Light carriers. The ones who hold who he is. That when people feel a darkness engulfing them, they can look at a Christian and say, I don't know why, I just need you here with me. That I don't know why is very simple. Because you're the light that he created in the very beginning. You carry the light that he asked. Matthew 5, be salt and what? Light. Be the thing that brings flavor. Be the thing that brings the eye opening. Be the thing that I created in the very beginning to rule and reign over this place. You see, the job that Adam and Eve had to carry was to rule and reign over all the things that crept, over all the things that were created. That was the job given to mankind. Somehow, over the centuries, we've lost sight of that. And now we get to the place where we're a group of people who are constantly on the back foot. When God says, I've called you to be an advancing people. I've called you to be light that presses back darkness. I've called you to not sit on your hands. I've called you to come forth and rule and reign in this place. I gave it to you in the beginning. You lost it. Then I sent my son to die so that I could give it back to you. Now stand in the place that you're supposed to stand and be image bearers of the great king. That's what Paul's saying to the Ephesians. That's what Paul is saying when he says, be imitators. He died for you. Remember the essence. Remember the fragrance. Why? Because it brought you back into the mandate we were always supposed to have. The cross that we just celebrated doesn't just get you to heaven. The cross that we just celebrated doesn't just get you to heaven. It brings you back into the communion with the Father to set on fire the call He always put inside you. The cross is the beginning, not the end. The cross sets us in place to say, all right, Jesus, what did you give to Adam and Eve? It was very simple. Rule and reign, expand my kingdom. Be the light that I created in this place. So I love that Jesus died, that we get to go to heaven. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Come through the cross like Jesus did. He came through the cross. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father in the position he was always meant to sit. And we sit in him in the position that we were always meant to sit as rulers and reigners, as kings and priests to carry the light into all the earth. That's who we are. He's saying, don't forget who I made you to be. 
Don't forget who I made you to be. Be salt and light. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Just so we all are okay with this. You do not earn your salvation. Okay. Freely given. Freely given. Freely given. Now, we remember who we were called to be. We were given it freely. This verse, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. We see that word works and we get a little bit edgy inside. Oh, it's not about works. It was finished. Yes, freely you were given into the kingdom. But now God is asking you to pick up a plowshare. Take to the soil. Come, work. Come. Come and be what I created you to be. Come and rule and reign. Come and push back the darkness. I've given you a sword and a helmet and a chest plate. I love that Paul finishes Ephesians with that. I love that Paul finishes Ephesians. Because he said, I've told you all this stuff. Now here's your armor. You're at war. Go. We sit in church. We hear sermon after sermon. We read scripture after scripture. And we sit on our couch and we watch Netflix. We put our helmet on. We put our chest plate on. We sit with our sword on our couch. And we say, Lord, I'm ready for heaven. With our sword in our hand. But he's saying, no, there is a battlefield. There is a job to do. I called you from the very beginning. I put my light in you. I asked you to be something. Don't get caught up on the, I don't know if it's works or not. You were freely brought back in. And now I put my boots on. I lace them up tight. I put my helmet on. I take my sword. I put my chest plate on. And I run out into battle knowing that He is with me. Paul continues on. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as it is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Remember this. He's not speaking to the non-saved. Because he's not telling the non-saved to be imitators of Christ. He's talking to the saved. And he's saying you will have no inheritance. That inheritance is not talking about salvation. Salvation has already been given. He's talking about the reward in which you will come into when you're in heaven. When uh, Brad first pointed this to me, this understanding that there will be rewards in heaven, right? And I remember he was so gracious with me. He was so gracious with me. Because I look back now and I was, I was a goose. I, I was so adamant that he was wrong. And he walked with me for, for, for months. We talked through this. Until one day the penny dropped. Oh, and I get it. God, I get it. You want to give us the things that you have for us in our inheritance. You want us to come into more. You want us to have a place prepared. You want us 
to be ready. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 16, he says this. I know I'm reading these quite quickly, but I, I have a lot to get through and I, I, I don't want to stop short. So please forgive me. If you go back and listen, you can find the verses. But 1 Corinthians 3, 10 verse 16, he says this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. God gave me a grace and with the grace I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon, building upon it. Let each one, I think he's talking about um, Apollos there. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You see, when we go to judgment day, which we will, Christians will go as well. It is not sin that he's going to judge us for. How can he? He said, your sin is no, no longer remembered as far is as the east is from the west. How in the world can we then stand before him and be judged for our sin? He's removed that from us. It's not your sin that you will stand before God with. It's this that Paul's talking about. That you will stand before him and you will present your work that you have outlaid in his kingdom and it will be tested by fire and that which comes through the flames will be counted as joy, will be counted as an inheritance and that which burns, it says, will be counted as loss, as if a man is escaping through the flames. We don't hear this taught very often because it's scary. And we'd rather hang on to this saying, we're all going to heaven, so who cares? I've heard that again and again and again from very, very um, seasoned Christians. We'll all be in heaven, so what difference does it make? Paul is abundantly clear that they will see it as loss. If we come into the kingdom and sit on our hands, Paul says it's as if the one escaping through the fire. Paul is setting up and understanding that us as Christians have a job to do, that us as Christians were called in the garden in the very beginning to be image bearers, imitators of him, to carry the light into all the world. And he says, but there's an inheritance that you will have. There is a reward that you will, you will receive of God. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Dave shared a story about a famous preacher, he didn't tell us who it was, which is great, but he shared a story about a person that was preaching and they, they did a great sermon. This is so challenging. If someone said to me, I think I would have just cried, but they, they preached a great sermon. As they were walking off the stage, they were applauded. People were standing and clapping and cheering them. And as they walked off the stage, I think it was someone that was mentoring the, the preacher on the side of the stage said, did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy the cheers and the claps? And she said, yeah. He said, well, that's your reward. 
And I thought, when Dave told us that on Thursday night, I thought, Lord, check my heart. Check my heart. Because I want to operate for you, not for me. I want to build something on the foundation, as Paul is saying, is Jesus. Why? Because that's what's worth building on. Stone upon stone upon stone, the cornerstone he's called, the capstone, the one that we measure off in every step that we take. It's not about me, Lord. It's about you. Now, look, you can stretch that story. They were honoring her. It's all well and good. But, but she was painting a picture. The guy's painting a picture for her. It's not about this. It's about that in heaven. It's not about what you receive right here. We can get all the claps and cheers, the well dones, the big ministries, the big businesses, the great family, well done, well done. But that's not the well done we want to hear. The well done that we want to hear is when we enter those gates and Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The things that have gone through the flames have not burned up because you bought them with, with, with silver and gold. But let me tell you that that silver and gold that we buy with is going to cost us something. You see, we were freely given salvation. But can I tell you, the cross that Jesus has asked you to pick up and follow him is heavy. We watched the, the Passion of the Christ while we were away. And I think the scene that, I know everyone watches that film and they all pick up different scenes that, that impact them. But I think the scene that impacts me the most is when Jesus falls and the cross falls on him and it crushes him when he lands on the ground. Maybe a little bit selfish as to why that hurts me so much because I think, oh Lord, that's what you've asked me to carry. You've asked me to pick up my cross. You've asked me to sacrifice my life. You've asked me to walk with you, but there's an inheritance. There is an inheritance at the end of my race. There is an inheritance that, Lord, I know a good father, you're going to bless me. Is it about that? No. I, I do it because you're worthy, but inside I know that you have prepared a place for me like none other. Lord, let my hands be calloused. Let my heart be pure and let my hands be calloused. Let me reach out in your kingdom and serve those so that when that day comes, I can stand before you and I can hear those sweet words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Each one will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Tried by fire. We've sung that song. I told you we shouldn't have sung that song. I told you we shouldn't have sung that song. I want to be refined by fire. We all sung it. I saw, I saw lips. Not this Sunday. We've sung it before. Declared, Lord, refine my work. Refine my work. Refine my work. Refine my work. Let me operate for you, Jesus. Ephesians 5, 6, 10. He continues on. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. 
But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So Ben, I just live my life however I want. And then, it, and then at the end, we'll see what happens. No, Paul is saying and God is saying, cleanse your life. Look inwardly at your heart and ask God to expose the things that aren't of him. Why? Because that's where the light is and operate always in the light. Give no partnership to the enemy. We spoke the week before last about your tongue and what you actually give credence to, what you speak out. You're partnering with what Paul is saying here. You are partnering with the sons of disobedience. You are partnering with the darkness. We have to continually be checking ourselves. God, watch my mouth. Watch my mouth. Let me be as you, imitators, carriers of the great light. Let us be operators in the kingdom of light all the time. Let us see with his fruit that's not of you. Let us see where there is fruit of darkness. But Lord, let us be imitators of you. Let me close out. If something is rolling through your brain right now, if there's something in your life that you know I want out, God is not cranky with you and he's not giving you a smack. The reason that thing's rolling through your mind right now is because the Holy Spirit is convicting you. That when the Holy Spirit convicts us of a sin or of a way that we're living in the flesh, it's not to smack us. It's to show us where our life is hurting. It's to say, come on, this thing you're doing, it's killing you. This thing you're operating in, it's killing you. You know that you know that thing where you want to come into me deeper? This thing that you're operating in, it's stopping you. See, we've had it the other way around where we keep giving ourselves a smack. God's, God's convicting me so that I get a smack. No, he's convicting you because he knows it's hurting you. He's convicting you because he knows that it's a pebble in your shoe and that it's stopping you from walking. He's convicting you because he's saying, I have a better way. Put down the nonsense. That would be in my version if I was to translate. Put down the nonsense. Because we all do it. Right? We all do it. We operate in the darkness when we know it's hurting us, when we know we're letting things in. And God is saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Come and sit before me so that I can show you take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Do not partner with that because it starts as a small thing and it grows into a large thing. Take no part. Why? Because then you're always in the light. Then you're always in the light and I'll show you what can happen when you operate always in the light. Is everyone okay? I need probably 15 more minutes or I can stop here. I'm gonna, this is the first time ever I'm going to give you the okay. No one's going to ask me to stop because then it would be all because that one guy puts his hand up. But a reason I want to keep going, if I can just go for 15 more minutes, is that I understand how difficult this is for us to hear because I have to write it. Remember, I have to go through this to understand, wake up, church. But I want to get through this because there's a, a challenge I want to put to us at the end and I think it allows us as a church to, to move forward. Because Paul continues on. Paul continues on and he says this. Therefore, it says, 
Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper. Wake up, church. You have been asleep for too long. My body, you have been asleep for too long. My hands and my feet, you have been asleep for too long. Paul is saying in unblatant terms, in blatant terms. Let's take the arm out of the front of that. I watched Tim's face go like, that's not a thing. In blatant terms. In blatant terms. Paul is saying, wake up, church. Wake up. Stop waiting for me to bring the revival that I've asked you to carry. Stop waiting for me to bring the move of God that I've asked you to usher in. Wake up. Paul here is quoting Isaiah 51, 52 and Isaiah 60. And we'll look at, we'll look at Isaiah 52 in a second. But he's, he's quoting Isaiah 60 as well, which says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Paul right here is throwing back to Genesis. Arise, you lights. He knows what we've been called to because he knows that we were created in the image of, of, of the Creator which was calling us to be lights in the world. And he's saying, go and shine as you were always meant to shine. You've turned yourself to off. When God's saying you were created as lights, so go and shine. Because then he continues on. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The time is running out, friends. The time is running out. Even, even if, even if God doesn't, God doesn't come back for a thousand years, your time is running out. You get a hundred. Well, with strength, does it say with strength 80, 75, with strength 80? I'm getting a hundred because I want to take my cap off. But you get a hundred years. Your time is running out. For some of us, we're in the back half of the 50. Fortunately for me, I'm in the front half of the 50. But for some of us, we're in the back half of the 50. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go to the streets after this sermon and start preaching the name of Jesus. It really means I need to go to my quiet place on my knees and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because let me make this really clear. The job Bev has left to do is different to the job I have left to do. I'm still a young whippersnapper. I can still run. I can still jump. Can you still jump? A little bit. Small jumps. But Bev has, a, has an incredibly important role in the church, in the community of believers. It's going to look different to mine and to Dave's and to, to Mark's. It's going to look different, but it's just as important. If you are young, do not be discouraged. If you are old, do not be discouraged because he's asking you to be a servant of him, to do what he asks. Don't look at the person next to you and go, well, they're leading a massive ministry. I can't do that. That's not what it means. If that's what Tim's been asked to do, let Tim do that. I've got to do what God's asked me to do. So while my role might be small, 
I'm being a servant to the great king. While my role might be large, I'm being a servant unto the great king. It doesn't matter either way. So long as I ask and do exactly what God told me to do, and Bev asked and does exactly what God's told her to do, then we both operate in the same level of faithfulness and servanthood unto to Christ. Bev may preach from the pulpit, but she may not. That doesn't mean that I'm greater than she is. It's because it, it, it relates to the way in which we serve the great king. Does that make sense? So we have to understand, stop looking over the fence at someone's, someone's grass who may be greener. Just tend to your grass. If your grass is looking dead, water it. Put some fertilizer on it. Ask God how to fix it. Go to the quiet place and seek him. I want to finish with Matthew 22. I want to finish with Matthew chapter 22, 1 to 14. We have been in Ephesians for a long time. Eight, nine, maybe ten weeks. I'm not too sure. I have not scratched the surface of what this book has. We could stay in Ephesians for years till Jesus comes back. There's so much here. So please don't think, oh, Ben finished Ephesians. We're done with Ephesians. Because there's so much I'm going to skim over even now that I've got in my notes. My notes aren't even the fullness of what it, there's so much that God is revealing in this book. But I want to finish with this verse in Matthew 22, 1-14, because it's very scary. But it reveals something to us that we as the body need to know. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. I've put on a beautiful wedding feast. Everything you'd ever want is here. But when they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them, the king was angry and he sent his troops and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. The servants went out to the road. They gathered who all who they found, um, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests when the king came in to look at the guest he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment and he said to him friend how did you get in here without a wedding garment and he was speechless then the king said to the attendants bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen for many are called but few are chosen this verse should have us shaking in the knees because it's twofold. The first fold of this verse is he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. He called first the Jew. He called first the Jew. And they didn't come. So then he says, right, I'm going to send my son. We've just come through. And we'll bring in all people. 
anyone can come. And he opens it up to both Jew and Gentile. He says, all can come in through me. That's what the feast is talking about. But on a deeper level, on a deeper level, he's saying this, I'm inviting you in to my feast hall. Will you come? I've prepared a great feast for you. Will you come? And then he takes the one who comes in, who manages to get himself there, and he comes in, and his garments are not that of a wedding feast. His garments are not that of a wedding feast. We see the garment explained in Revelations where Jesus says, their garments were pure, they were white as snow. In Isaiah 52, the other verse that Paul is referencing, it says this, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. God is calling a people who treasure holiness. God is calling a people who will cleanse their garments. God is calling a people into his wedding feast that will come spotless. God is asking us, come before me. Come before me and ask me to cleanse your heart. Ask me to cleanse the garments by which you wear. Ask me to stand. This verse for me raises so many questions. Who was the bridegroom? Who were the guests? Who were at the feast table? We think it's as clear-cut as we're going to heaven. And yes, if you've been saved by the power of God, you are going, but God is asking you. There's more to it than that. Ask Him to cleanse your garments. Ask Him to reveal the plan and the purpose. Go to your knees and ask Him to show you how you operate in His kingdom. We don't like this verse because it says to us that we have to do something. We don't like this verse because it says to us, but I'm saved by grace. Sin is no longer in me. Yes, you're right, in your spirit, man. But he's asking you to cleanse your soul, your mind, will, and your emotions. To put on the mind of Christ. He prepares the Ephesians by saying, cleanse yourself. Do you want to know how you do it? You put on the armor of God, which we'll go through in a few weeks. Put on the armor of God. There's a cleansing that can take place. In your spirit, you are hidden in Christ. But now, right here today, we have to operate from that place in Him, not from our flesh. Does that make sense? Does anyone want to ask a question? You can see a few maybe challenged or puzzled faces. It's okay. I, I will take, I can, if I don't have an answer, we can move it forward. Okay. Because this is something that we have to understand as a church. The world is looking at a church that looks just like them and they're going, I don't understand. I don't understand. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm the same. But God is asking us, no, you are salt and light. You look different. You taste different. You smell different. You are different. Operate from that place. Ask Him to cleanse yourself. Live a life of holiness. Hold holiness at the highest regard. Because in that place, God will usher in the kingdom. God will usher in. Does that make sense? Is everyone okay? Please, please, please come and talk to me. If there's something, if, it's, if it takes you a couple of weeks to process, you want to go through, read. This is why these discipleship nights are so important for us. We're going through these sorts of things. 
we're chatting openly, asking questions, hearing each other's perspectives. That is a time for you to do that. If you want to be a part of that, come along. But don't just go away and go, that was wrong or that was right. Both aren't helpful. Ask God to take you deeper, okay? Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you are leading us and you are guiding us. Lord, help us to see it your way. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Lord, may we go deeper and deeper into who you are, searching your holy name. Lord, we love you. We honor you, Jesus. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.